Um, we will now turn our attention to the preaching of God's Word as I um, ask you to turn your Bible, take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16, or if you have a digital Bible, click to Acts chapter 16. I say click to because we live in a technology culture, a culture that is dominated by technology, and uh, we have adopted it. And we also live in a culture that is dominated by a thought that life, like the day-to-day life, is out of the reach of divine help. I um, recently went to the campus of um, uh, not James Madison. Um, I just wanted to say uh, welcome, Abby, by the way. Um, but uh, GMU, uh, George Mason University, and I, uh, we were just doing some work, um, talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ there. And we asked, I didn't ask, but the guy that was a brother that was with me asked a couple of college students, is there anything I can be praying for you about? And their answer was no, right? So, and that's, that's really the overwhelming reality of our life, really. Um, I've had text to some of you maybe even i'm like hey is there anything i can be praying for you about nah i'm good um nothing nothing specific not to shame you or anything but when asked or presented with the opportunity to pray um for others many would either decline it or they would say oh there's there's nothing going on because we live in a time and a culture that is dominated by the thought that you know our day-to-day lives are not necessarily in the uh, they're 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 not in the reach of divine help Right? And, and really, when we think about it, either in our lives, when, when you're asked and you say, no, I don't have anything to pray for, uh, for you to pray for me, there's one or two options, or maybe three tops. Either you have, you have such a perfect life, and you have no apparent problems with your life, or there's no desire to seek divine help because you think the answer is ultimately within you, right? It's like you have to find out and work that answer out. And that's the culture overwhelmingly informing the way that we think, even within the church, but mostly true for those that are outside of the church. There's also a sense where asking for for help in our time is a sign of weakness. You got to figure it out. I mean, I would ask Siri before... I just make sure that my Siri didn't activate there. <laughs> um, or Google or whatever, or chat G, G, GPT, not GBT. I want to say GBT. I don't know why. It just flows better, right? Um, before I, I go to the Lord in prayer and asking him, because, you know, look, those, those things are private. I don't want nobody to know about that. I'm about my weaknesses. So there's also a sense where our culture is time and time again telling us that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And we end up extending that notion to even divine help. And then this is probably one of the main reasons why we think and we hear things like the Bible is not relevant today. 
or the historical narratives that we find in Scripture have very little to offer us because our lives are too complex and, and, and you know, our 21st century problems are, are, are just out of the region. Those people are way too removed and the Bible is too old and there's no relevance to our lives and it can't bear any kind of, like, power can't communicate that to us. But the passage that, that is before us this morning will provide you insight and evidence how God's word and his power and his plan for salvation is relevant for your life today, for our lives today, so that you can trust in him and seek his help. Speaking of seeking help, let's go again to the Lord in prayer to to ask for divine help so that he would reveal the truth to us. Lord, we come to you as finite beings to look at your eternal world, word. So we ask that your eternal power would grant us wisdom and insight, that your spirit would work in our, in our lives, in our hearts, to give us the meaning of this word that we would read so that it will affect us in a real way and transform our lives. We only depend on you to give us that help. And we ask this help in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter. So, Follow along with me. And the reason why we're reading this whole thing is for for the next several months or weeks, uh, we will be looking at God's instructions to a local church in an ancient city called Philippi, um, located even today in the northeastern region of Greece. And in order to understand what we would look at in the letter to the Philippians, which is God's instructions, corrections, and encouragement to that local church, in order to understand it better, we want, we want to take a general survey of this church as it was being planted. So we read God's word starting in Acts chapter 16, in verse 1. Paul came also to Deborah and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him, circumcised him because of the Jews who were those in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance of the decision that has been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the, in the faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the regions of um, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Myasia, they attempted to give uh, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing to passing by. Mysia, and they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia who was standing there 
urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and following the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyathera, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I, com I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined them in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received the order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called, the light, called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all, to, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with, the entire, with his entire household 
that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us in prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out, from the, uh, they went out of pr- the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, I know this is relatively lengthy narrative, but I just wanted us to get the context of what's going on. And I want us to really draw out from this story because we read it and it can, it, can even be, it can even be read as a bedtime story. And you kind of see the, the different characters and, 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 and the, the funny parts of Paul getting annoyed with, with this evil spirit and then just say, yeah, man. Why is he saying that? And then just turn. So there's there's a lot to be unpacked here, but I really want us to to look at it from a perspective. And again, this is a a general survey, so we're not going to really parse it verse by verse. But in it, I want us to see. I want us to meet the Philippians. I want us to see the Philippians. But before we meet the Philippians and and consider what kind of place. Philippi was and 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 what the church was made out of made up up of the first thing we want to see in this passage is that the church of Philippi or the Philippians were a part of God's eternal and universal purpose for salvation you see that being played out in the beginning of the the chapter where Paul and and Silas and and Luke even inserts himself in there and they meet up with Timothy and, and they, they have this, this ministry and they're, they're going out and, and preaching the gospel. But God intended for them to go to Philippi. He did not want them to go nowhere else. So God, by his spirit, superintends and fulfills his plan to save people by bringing the gospel to them. Right? That's what we see here in the story. Like in verses 6 and 7, they're even forbidden to go to one place. And then by a vision in verse 9, we, they were led to, a, to another place. So the Philippians were not just a part of a, like a random act of kindness by Paul, but they were a part of what God was doing in that region and ultimately in the world. And just like them, we are, as a church, part of God's eternal plan of salvation. And we are to see ourselves from, from that perspective. We are not just here in Alexandria and then just come to church every Sunday and go home. But we, as a church, are a part of God's eternal work of salvation. given the gospel by the superintendence of God's own spirit to fulfill his plan in us. 
And what God is doing in your life is not just a single act of mercy, just individually for you to, uh, to, 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 to take and, and live out within the context of your own inner circle or, or, or life. But it's actually a part of a greater picture, a universal picture. I don't mean the, the, the movie um, production company, but more like a, a kingdom picture. I really want us to, to, to really challenge you today to see what you are as a Christian and what God is doing in this church and in your personal life in light of the kingdom of God and what God has started from the beginning of time and what will go on even after you're way, way, way gone from this earth. And your life is a part of that kingdom. What God is doing in our church and in your life is supposed to be seen in, as a part of this great unending kingdom. Secondly, what I want us to notice here is Paul's response to the call for help. In verse 9, if you look down with me, he sees a vision appear to Paul in the night and a man in Macedonia who he did not know. We don't know who this man is. He was standing there urging him and saying, come, to, come over to Macedonia and help. But in the way that he responds. See, Paul didn't think that the call for help was primarily a, a temporal concern that this man had. Uh, this man had right? He didn't say, oh, help, help with what? Okay, let me, let me just get my, my guys together. Let's get some food and maybe some clothes. Maybe some, uh, you know, Luke is with him at this point because he says we. And Luke, we know that Luke was a doctor. So he didn't say, hey, Luke, just get all your medical supplies and we're going to go to Macedonia and then do like some kind of temporal outreach. Notice what Paul's immediately says, right? Immediately. The first thought in Paul's mind when he hears this call for help as an eternal concern, as a concern that has something to do with salvation, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Why? Because we concluded that God, in verse 10, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And this determines the rest of the mission for Paul. The rest of the, the, the passage really just talks about how the gospel touched different kinds of people, as we will see here in a second, how the, the power of the gospel reaches all people in all circumstances and has the power to save them from, from, from all of that. Because Paul had determined the greatest need that anybody can ask for help for has to do with eternal life has to do with the inner man, not necessarily with the temporal things. Had the first thought was, a tem um, uh, was temporal in his mission, his mission would have been driven by trying to meet the temporal needs of people. But his first impression, by all means, is to give to them the gospel. Because Paul understood this, and he knew this, and he believed this. In fact, we, in another place, see Paul saying, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1.16, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's at the center of his heart. That's the perspective that he has. So anybody ask him a question, he first gives them the gospel. Then the narrative continues and points to the condition or the context in which God's power for salvation, in which the gospel is planted in the city of Philippi. In the first instance, we find that the city had some people who acknowledged Yahweh and met together to pray in verse 13. If you look down with me, and on the Sabbath day, we went down to the gate where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And sure enough, they find people there meeting together and praying to Yahweh. These are, they, they weren't even like real, that many Jewish people enough to have a synagogue. So it's just, just a ragtag people. And, and as we see here, we don't even know if all of them were Jews. We see this woman named Lydia who is rich. By the way, the seller of purple is there because she, one, she's a woman, but she's rich, but she's not Jewish. So we see in this first instant a place, Philippi being a place where religious activity was practiced, yet without its, its real power being recognized. Yeah, people were gathering, people were praying, people were going through the motions of seeking God and fearing God. They knew who was, he was there, but they really don't have the clear picture of the gospel. They don't have the power of God for salvation just yet. It was, a, it was a place where people sought to be saved by works, really by the work of the law, by working out and keeping the commandments to the point, they, to the point even though they may not be fully admitted in the community, they, they would just pursue it, right? These people were not even full Jewish proselyte. They, they wouldn't be able to be accepted into the, the God's chosen people just yet, but they didn't care. They just wanted to be saved, but they don't have all the answers. This was a place where the flesh, with its self-exalting desires, kept the people in the shadow of false religion and a false sense of salvation. In that place, when the gospel hits that place, when the power of God, when the news about concerning the Lord Jesus Christ hits that place, and when the Spirit of God opens the heart of this rich, non-Jewish woman, by the way, (laughs) which were considered at that time as second-class citizens, whether she's rich or not, and she's not Jewish, this is an unlikely candidate. When God opens her heart to pay attention to the gospel and bear the fruit, She is saved. How many of us have a testimony like that? That we grew up in a church. Coming to church and going, going through all the activities, Bible study, whatever, grew up in that way. But we really never really, really, really understood what the gospel truly meant until one day God opened 
our eyes to the reality of it. And that made, we made the gospel. We made Christ our own. Or how many of us are actually in, on, on the negative side of things? How many of us are actually just doing it like those people that are just meeting at the riverside and we just, we're just doing this out of compulsion because somebody's making you do it? And you think this activity is going to save you? Or maybe no people like that, that have believed in false religions where it's works gives you righteousness. And they think their works would eventually outweigh, the good works would eventually outweigh on the scale of God who is perfect and, 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 uh, than the, the bad deeds that they did, and then they would inherit eternal life. These are the people that were in Philippi that received the gospel. Again, we also see in this city that Satan is running rampant. I mean, it's, it's right there in black and white, for us at least, but for them in, in 3D. They can see it. They can, they can sense it. With his clever devices and schemes, he had made the people in that city love his ways because it brought them profit and pleasure. And he made it look so attractive. They were so blind to it that those enslaved by him, who actually enslaved another human, made an image of God and was just turning profits off of her, her demonic possession. They weren't driven by love. They were driven by greed. They were degrading the value of the Imago Dei, the image of God, to make money off of demonic influences. This is what we see here. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Do you know what would have happened if she lived in a Jewish community and she was doing that? What, what God's statement is for those who, who practice the spirit of divination is death. That's what God commanded in the Old Testament. That's what the law says. But they didn't care. Brought him money. But we see even the evil spirit. Even the power of Satan, uh, the, the power that was dominating her, the, the demonic power that, that she was under the influence, knows the truth about the gospel. I mean, these men are servants of the Most High, she says in verse 17. Not her, but, but the, really the Spirit. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I mean, does that, does that ring of what, you, what we see in the, in the gospels? When the evil spirits would testify about who Jesus is and Jesus tells them, don't say anything. He would cast them out and and he commands them not to say anything about him. So even the evil one knows the power of God for salvation. And this is the city. These are the people that are under this influence. 
And the power of the gospel is not just in words. This is what we see. It's not just words that we talk about. Jesus was, was born of a, of a virgin and he lived a perfect life and then he died on a cross and then he was resurrected. Not just mere words, but it is revealed with power. The power of the gospel is not just in words alone, but it carries with it the authority and the power of God in Christ that frees people from oppression of evil forces and transform their lives. That's what we see. It's kind of like a, like a funny scene if you want to have a kind of a warped sense of humor, right? And imagine, imagine Paul and is going through, through the city and this, this young girl who out of, not out of her own will, but just compelled by the spirit, that the evil spirit that is, that, that has dominated her, that influences her, is just following and just proclaiming this and just in the air, constantly saying this, saying this. And Paul is walking, he's like, why don't this little girl, little girl, be quiet. So annoyed, turns around and commands the spirit to leave her. But he doesn't just command the spirit to leave her. Because in and of himself, as great as Paul is, has no authority to do that. It is the name that is above all names. It is the worthy name about whom we just sang about, about whom we read about in, in, in Revelation chapter 5. The one, the Lamb of God, in the name of Jesus, there is power. And he cast that out, that evil spirit out of that young girl, because the power of the gospel carries with it the authority and the power of the person of the gospel in a real way, in a way that, that moves you from, from being influenced and being under the oppression of the evil one and just being in the lap of the evil one, as, the, uh, as, as Paul in another place puts it. This whole world lies in the, in the lap of the evil one, and we're just puppets. And we are blinded by him, almost double-blinded because we have the hardness of hearts, he says in Second Corinthians. We are delivered from that kind of oppression. And our lives are transformed by it. That's what we see in this, in this place. And lastly, when the gospel comes to Philippi, the city had this value system. Right? We, we, this, this, this class system. In fact, historically looking back, that Philippi was a colony of Rome. And a lot of the Roman soldiers, when they retired, moved there and lived there. They were tax-free. So it's a somewhat of a veteran town, if you will, a veteran city. And, and, and you know, for a soldier, what's, what's their life about? It's their job. As the city was home to many veterans who, whose pride and value was, was tied to their military careers. I don't know about you guys, if you met anybody that, that ever served in the military, I mean, they're, 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 they're about the military life. I mean, once in the military, forever in the military, right? It's about their careers. So the gospel goes into that place. 
and we see this this other character, the jailer, who is also a soldier, by the way, who knows about the pressures of of his surroundings. And Paul and Silas interact with this jailer uh, living under the same standards as the rest of society uh, to the point that he becomes suicidal when, when the expectation of society doesn't meet him. Because he had attached his identity to what he does. Oh, no. No, I mean, the, the Roman law, by the way, at the time, is if a prisoner, if a, if a soldier loses a prisoner, he was supposed to get punished, the same punishment that the prisoner was supposed to have. And he had assumed that, yeah, if, if they beat him that badly, and then told him, hey, keep him for us safely, like even more than the other prisoners, like put him, put him under the prison, right? Don't just put him in prison, put him under the prison. And so he puts him in the center of the prison and puts their feet in, in shackles and shackles them to, to stocks. To, to that extent, he's assuming, uh, he's, he's thinking, these, these guys are really, really bad criminals, and I, they're probably going to put to death. And, and so if they, if they elude me, if they escape, then the magistrate is going to kill me. And that's, that's not the way I want to go out. I mean, I've built up my career. And that's not the way to go out. So I might as well just go ahead and, 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 and kill myself so that I don't have to deal with the disgrace of being killed that way. Because his identity and his value was, was rested on, it was founded on what he did, or what he accomplishes, or what the world said your value lies on, what the society around him was his value, attached his value to. It's as if when God shook the foundation of the prison, <laughs> When Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, shout out to hymns, by the way. It's as if when the foundations were shaken, all the prisoners, they were free. Paul and Silas, they were, they, they were free. And it's as if like the, the jailer realized that he is the one that is in prison. They were safe, right? Uh, they, they didn't panic. All the doors open. They're like, we're free to go, but we're not going to go. And we're just going to stay here. We're singing. And, and, you know, like they weren't scared or anything. Doors open. They can leave. But they were free even while they were still in chains. And the jailer had, a, had another idea behind it where, where he thought that he was the free one keeping them from their freedom. But when God responds with power to the point that the earth actually shakes, he realizes that he was the one who could not escape from the chains of this societal pressure, the pressure of the world. 
to the point where he, he, he thinks about killing himself. But even to a person like that, even under that kind of condition, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And Paul tells him, no, nah, we didn't leave yet. We're free. In fact, we're so free that we're going to demand a, a, an apology from those who put us in this place. And they're going to apologize to us in public, not just in private. And they're going to set us on our way. We're that free. And you, too, can receive that freedom. I think the jailer understood that to the point where he comes in and he got the light. He comes into the room and they're still there. And he's like, okay, this has got to be in the, it's, it's as if the, his eyes were open to what real freedom looks like. That is not based on the worldly pressures around him. And look at the question he asks. Verse 30, sirs, what must I, be, what's, what must I do to be saved? Some commentators actually say at this point, they look back to the vision that Paul had and said, maybe this was the man that Paul saw in in the vision. Can't really say for certain. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. See, the gospel was preached in a city called Philippi. About 2,000 years ago, a city who was dominated and controlled by the oppression of the flesh and the evil one and of the world. And a church was planted by people who God delivered from the oppression of false religion and from the oppression of, uh, of the flesh and from the oppression of Satan himself and from the oppression of the world. But it wasn't just planted in there and then all the problems were, were gone because we see that we, we, as we would study um, the, the, the letter that Paul writes to them, it was still affected by its influence. I mean, even as the church was being planted, even as souls were being saved as part of God's universal plan for redemption, we see the resistance that the world would have to the name of Jesus Christ. Falsely being accused Suffering physically and emotionally. Just resistance. So we're still affected by by the influence. Uh, It was still being affected by by the influence of the flesh and the devil in the world. But it was was planted by people that God had taken from from the dominion of the, 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 the flesh, the world, and the evil one. And put them into his kingdom. And transfer them into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of life. So you too, we too, are a church living in such a city, aren't we? Doesn't that, if I never told you this was about Philippi, 
If, if we never read this or in, in, in this context, we live in a city like this. We live in a, in a world like this. And we are delivered from, from such oppression. Our flesh no longer has dominion over us because God has delivered us and freed us from the power of the flesh, from the dominion of sin as we obeyed its lusts. He has delivered us from that dominion of the flesh. He has delivered us from the oppression of the evil one. No longer rules our lives. And we no longer are of the world, even though we live in the world. God has delivered us from the world and left us in the world. We too are a church like that. Yet we do sense its effects. Our flesh still gets tempted. The evil one still schemes and plots against us, trying to, to get us even to the point where he might appear to us as the angel of light, trying to deceive us as he comes to kill, to steal, to kill, and destroy. We still feel the influence of that. And the world does continue to try to put the squeeze on us to try to conform to its standards. You know, make your identity about what you do, who you're married to, what kind of car you drive, how many followers you have. Whatever it is, it's ever-changing. Still, the world is trying to put a, 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 the pressure on you. We, we, we feel the influence, but we are delivered from that. We, too, are a church like that. So as we continue in the coming weeks, by God's grace, to hear of what God has to say to the Philippian church, remember, that church that we will read about, that church that God is speaking to, is just as relevant today. What God would have to say to that church, to our local body, is just as relevant to your life and to my life and to the life of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you are eternally powerful. One of your attributes is that you are unchanging. Your word and your power Though times and seasons and kings and, and cultures and kingdoms would change, you will never change. And the power of your word will never change. And your gospel is the power, is your power to save us and to keep us. So, Lord, give us eyes to know that we are a part of your kingdom now because you have proclaimed this gospel to, to us. You have opened our hearts, Lord, so we may pay attention 
to your saving work in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful that you have delivered us from the oppression of the evil one. That we will no longer be dominated by his influence and by his, by his leading, but we have your spirit living in us, testifying to the truth of your gospel. That you continue to work and transform our lives. That you have changed our lives from being against you, being in hostility towards you, to being part of your family through Christ Jesus. Well, thank you that even though we live in the world, we are not of the world. And we know this because we have come to know your son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and as our Savior. And your spirit will testify this to us and to our hearts as he bears his fruit in our lives. As we participate in following your son, Jesus Christ, as his disciples in baptism and all the common means of grace. Lord, we're so grateful that you have done so, not because of our own worth, but because you are faithful to your, to your will and to your word. So, Father, cause us to live a life that is consistent with that. Apply the truth of the gospel to our hearts. That even though we are we live in a time and in a place where the influence of the flesh and the world and the evil one are felt, that we no longer are under the dominion of them. So cause us to live a free life. Cause us to freely love you and honor you and obey you. Cause us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may look more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us hearts to receive it. Let us come and proclaim this good news to those who would need help around us. Let us bring this good news to them, that there is God, there is a name that is above all other names that can give the answers, that can have the solution to any problem that anybody would see, would, would have in their lives. So make us those who would obediently and lovingly share this good news with, with the rest of the world. We ask you to do these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.